0: Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, build your faith. Enjoy the message. If I could have my slides up. Let me start with this. For many, the church has become a place where we sit and watch. But instead of that, it should be a place where we are a people who are bound together by the Holy Spirit, each using the Spirit's gifts to help one another. To look like Christ and to live like Christ. This demonstration of Christ is to be made in the presence of a lost and broken world. These thoughts really encapsulate the purpose, the heart behind our new series that we start today, our summer series. Our summer series is called Church Without Walls, and the key verse there comes from Matthew chapter 5, which I read at the opening of our time together, that we would let our light shine before all men, that we would not hide our light under a cover, under a bushel or in a building, but they would let it shine before our community. As I've been preparing for this series, I've been reading widely, material as I do, and uh, an author by the name of Jim Peterson writes this. It's It's a fairly lengthy passage, but just allow me to read what he says in the introduction of his book, which, funnily enough, is called Church Without Walls. Christians have dual citizenship in God's kingdom and in this nation in which we live. The inescapable question is what is our responsibility here? When I mean, the world is broken and our lives as well as the lives of others, often coping with our own pain seems to be more than we can handle. Yet God calls us to go beyond ourselves. And I would add, he calls us to go beyond the walls of the building. God has purposed us in the world as salt, light, light. And good seed. Jesus prayed to his Father, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. God's people are sent to cure, to enlighten, and offer life. How do we do that? Jim continues To date, the solutions the church have offered have been superficial and piecemeal. We tend to lay our hands on whatever looks like it might help. For example, We've learned to embrace technology, like our live stream service that we started several years ago. The church has become skilled in media use, generating and moving information as deftly as anybody in the marketplace. Now, this can be beneficial, but it has allowed us to slip into the wrong thinking that the dissemination of information is ministry. Another tendency is to think that more personnel will be our solution. When confronted with a need, we tend to hire another church employee. When things get going, it's now that person's problem to keep it going, while the church watches idle. Jim writes this in the opening of his book, and it stirred me, it stirred me to the core. And I'm left with the series, and this one mandate that we must change our thinking. We've got to break the inertia of the past, and I'm going to point to that in a minute. We've got to take a serious look, not just at history, but at ourselves. And as church leaders, we are certainly doing that. In recent elders retreat and recent council meeting, we're taking a very serious look at ourselves because I believe we, each one of us, have to shift our paradigm of church so that... We don't miss what God is calling us into in this season, because God has not changed his mission for us, that we as a church are called to serve a community that's suffering, and it is suffering, profound and agonizing need. So, welcome to our summer series, Church Without Walls, which will be very different. I'm going to shake things a little. No, I'm not. I'm going to shake things vigorously. And that might make us all feel uncomfortable, me included. We've got to learn, from, particularly from 2020 and the, the pandemic that is now almost a cliche when we say it without recognizing the significance of the death and change that's going on in society. I mean, these days, our lives have been reshaped and we probably don't even realize how different life was just in March, nine months ago. If you turn up somewhere and there's a QR code on the door, most of you will pick up your device and what do you do? You scan in. without a to think about it. Unless you're one of those stubborn people that thinks the conspiracy theories. You honour what's asked of you. When you sneeze, you probably sneeze or cough into your elbow. You never used to do that. And some of you, when the word lockdown is used in a sentence, get a twitch. Because you're worried about lockdown 3.0. The world's changed. And for us to think it's going to go back to normal would be somewhat errant, I believe. And, and so I've been pondering, well, in this kind of season, uh, what can I learn about Church. And I've, I've said this before, we've got to understand that church is not just, in fact, church is not a building. We've got to understand and, and come to the realization that church is not a meeting that happens at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And Chris pointed to that when he talked about his communion message. Communion is not just once, or once a fortnight where we gather around a table, but you can do that in a family, in a meal, in a cafe, and you can do it wherever you like. We've got to remember that church is not limited to an entity or a legal organization that has a name with church in it that is registered with the government. Church is not a ministry activity. It's not something that we do. It's something we should be. I love it. I I can't find who said this quote, but um, this guy uh, said once to me, he says, Some of the church is in the kingdom of God, but not all of the kingdom of God is in the church. Jesus did not come to bring the church to earth. He came to bring the kingdom to earth. And it's with that, I want to stir the pot a little and pose this question and say, right at the beginning, if I was going to think about what are some of the problems that we as church leaders have fabricated and created that change the world we experience, I would say this is the first point. We schedule meetings at 10 o'clock and we call them a service. So people turn up and say, well, please serve me that's my fault. We did that as church leaders. One of the common truths these days is that what is true for me will trump what is true according to God. I call it little t truth versus big t truth. It's called relative truth. People are living their lives and making decisions on what is true for me must be true above what God says is true. (laughs) One person said this to me the other day, we try to make disciples without choosing to be disciples. It's quiet in here. I said this before, I recall, I'm, I'm taking one of the phrases from Jim Peterson, we confuse information with transformation. And the problem with sermons is we take 30, 40, or <laughs> it's me a bit longer sometimes, to give you a whole bunch of information and not pause to think about, is it actually transforming your life? Or you sit in church and think, well, that was a good sermon, and you go home and nothing changes. Information is not Transformation. Busyness is pursued over being. Fill our lives, and then we fill them some more. These days, it's really easy to neglect coming together because we've got some alternatives, we've got some options, we've got some different ways we can do it, and for some people, they miss the fellowship that God desired that we would experience. A paper that I've read this week uh, from the church in Scotland it features several times in my message, and they say this. One of the problems for the modern church is that we appoint one minister in one building and we give one parish and we say, well, that's the world, that's the extent of your domain. But the point is the parish. Sometimes we spend too much time looking inward never looking outward. I wonder what you'd add to this list. Here's my last one. We create institutions and honor the past without thinking about movements or momentum. I mean, you only have to go to Europe and walk around the amazing, beautiful buildings that were built, some of them 1,000 years ago, some of them 2,000 years ago, and you stand and you look at awe and wonder at what they represent in the glory of God and the history of those buildings, and and, and, I, and a couple of them, I had deeply moving spiritual experiences experiences personally, but all they are is a monument to history. I wonder what you'd add to this list. But if you're not looking or asking the questions, you're not necessarily thinking about this. And I don't know about you, but I get paid to think like this because I'm tasked with the responsibility of stewarding the purpose and the mission of this church, well, God's graced me to be here, and so I have to ask questions like this. And, th- and there's one better question that has really stirred me as I ponder the future of church, that is this. Are we in the midst of an interruption to life or are we in the midst of a disruption to life? There's a big difference. An interruption turns up and shifts things for a moment and you hope that things go back to normal after the interruption. You know, so, so some people are thinking, well, hopefully this crazy season we're in changes and goes back to what it was so we can go back to church being the way it was. You know, one minister in one building with one parish, one meeting a week, being served by the staff or the people who are signing up to serve Is it just a temporary blip until things go back to normal? You know, we gather once a week and sing and look at scripture and sometimes we have lunch together. Or, as per the question, is this a disruption? A significant pattern shift that causes us to live differently? A disruption that unsettles us but brings significant shift and change in our paradigm, our thinking, and therefore our behavior. A disruption that births something new that we haven't seen before. 2,000 years ago, God invaded the world as a disruption. God did not come to affirm and realign the Jewish church as it was then. Jesus said to the church leaders, destroy the temple that you've just spent 40-some years, 50 years building, and I'll rebuild it differently. Paraphrased. Disruption. Jesus says, you know, they were looking for a king that would ride in and and remove the Romans, and Jesus says, yeah, I'm that king, and now you should love the Romans. Disruption. Complete disruption. So so we've got to think about and look to, I believe, the church that I'm calling the Acts church, the church we see in the book of Acts. And, And really, it's the forming church. It's the new church. It's the church we should take our our guide from and our leadership from, and in the beginning, we see Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says in verse 8, stay here a while until the Holy Spirit comes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He's shifting their paradigm. And it sparked something. Because those that were with him went, well, you are the Son of God, so we probably should agree. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait, we're going to tarry, we're going to stay, and we're going to pray until the Holy Spirit comes, and that's going to be the sign that we should do what you said. And so as you can see there, Pentecost comes along in Acts chapter 2, You know the story, we talk about it here because we're a Holy Spirit uh, filled church. Holy Spirit, the fire of God falls on those that were praying and set them alight with purpose and passion, baptised them in the Holy Spirit and life was never the same for them, it was disrupted. Their pattern changed. And and I've been looking through the story of Acts and and reading it this week and looking at what God did. Look, there's just headings up here. You can take a photo of the screen or you can do whatever you like, but have a look at just the first 10 chapters of Acts and you will see the church disrupted. Acts chapter 3 through um, 7, we see all sorts of signs and wonders from people who were fishermen or tax collectors or, well, certainly not church leaders Peter is walking to the temple in Acts chapter 3, and there's a guy sitting by the gate. He's been there a long time, and Peter says, Pick up your mat and walk, brother. The whole town was a buzz. Miraculous things happening. That's normal in an Acts church. It's normal. What about momentum? Well, you read and suddenly the, the, the leaders of the town in Jerusalem start taking notice and they invite them in and say, well, we like what you're doing there, but we, we really don't like what you're doing there and you should stop that because it's disrupting our patterns. And Peter says, well, I listen to you or will I listen to God? And they smack them on the wrist and they send them on their way and they rejoice. They pray with fervency and the Holy Spirit comes and shakes the ground again, Acts chapter 4. It starts to get out of control, and there's a little bit of infighting because everyone wants to be the leader, and then they're like, well, what about these people? We need to feed them. They're hungry. And So they have a little council meeting, and they make plans, and they appoint deacons to look after those that need looking after. Momentum. True, as you can see on the screen, they had some opposition, and in the case of a guy called Stephen, persecution to the worst end, or perhaps the best end. They reposed, they were put in jail, they were treated poorly, they were harshly beaten. And then Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, stood up and preached his finest sermon ever as his final sermon ever. And they picked up rocks and they killed him. It's in the Bible, it's church. Yeah, Doug says it's the best way to go. How many in a hurry to do it? And then this other phrase that uh, I was talking about the other day with a friend of mine, translocation, the Guys Connect group that we were talking about together. And, And there's two meanings to that, because, of course, translocation means being transported from one place to another. And we see Philip, who was supernaturally translocated physically from one physical location to another by the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome. I mean, maybe we should have that happen. I could just nip down and get some milk quite easily. But what's more important, as I read the story of Philip and what he was doing, is he'd been first in Jerusalem, where, the, where he received the Holy Spirit, and then he'd gone to, to Samaria, which is across the way. And then he went down and got in the, the trolley, what is it called? The cart, the chariot, with the Ethiopian guy preached the message, explained who Jesus was. The guy gets out and gets baptized. And what happens is he takes the good news about Jesus back to Ethiopia as the minister of finance, influential in the courts of the king. The gospel got translocated. And then Philip ends up in Caesarea. Translocation means it's not contained. And then finally, I watched a sermon on this the other day. Peter in Acts chapter 10 gets into a trance. Which sounds weird. But in Acts chapter ten, he's praying, and God literally says to him, Do not call unclean what I have called clean. Now go to the Gentiles. And he's like, What? We're not even supposed to be there. We're not supposed to be with them. We're not supposed to be in the house. We certainly shouldn't eat with them, but he's invited in to eat a meal with non-Jewish people, which is totally against everything he's been brought up to believe. And if the rest of the church knew what he was doing, they'd probably kick him out. Peter's like, well, am I going to obey the tradition? Or am I going to obey what Jesus is asking me to do? He chooses the latter, thankfully for us. Because he preaches the gospel message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And it says the Holy Spirit fell on them and they became praying in tongues. And Peter goes, well, oh. Maybe God does accept Gentiles. Maybe we should baptize them, bring them into the family. Church without walls is birthed. And you can read on about Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Luke and Timothy and all those guys in the book of Acts where the gospel message of Jesus went rampant. you know that we're an Acts church? But legally? Zion is part of the Axe Church of New Zealand. It's literally our name. Our denomination is the Axe Church. We should be an Axe Church. We want to be an Axe Church. We want us to be stirred to be an Axe Church, that our paradigms that are not helping us would shift and that we would find paradigms that will help us. I hope you get stirred by this. Because God's called us to be his church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, I'm reading it again, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the commissioning for you and me. That's what we've been saved into. That's the commissioning of Jesus Christ that he gave us, that we would be saved for a mission. And that call, I've got seven little things here that might apply to you if you choose to apply them to you. That call is personal. The call is personal. If you're writing notes, write down Isaiah 43 at the beginning. Now says God who created you and he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, and they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, or the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. This is a personal relationship we're called into. It's not just a corporate. Hey, let's join the club or be part of the family and turn up. No, 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 no. When Jesus says you will receive the power from on high, he's talking to you personally. Personally. This this week, I was reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church, as you do. It's funny what rabbit trails I end up uh, going down. And it writes in Article 9 this, the body's unity does not do away with the diversity of its members. I think I read that in Scripture somewhere. So it's personal. We're unique. We have, a, we have a unique DNA that God created in us. We have a unique personality that God gave us. Who knows why for some of us, but um, he did. We're unique. We're special. We're cherished. We're his favorite. Call is personal. You do not get to abdicate to anyone else, church leader, connect group leader, or anyone. Galatians 3, for those of you writing notes, I'm going to give you some scriptures for every single one of these. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. I'm a bit slow because I've got a new Bible this week. And it's New King James, which I wouldn't normally read, but I've been reading it. And I've decided to set myself a challenge over the summer to read out of a new Bible. Because the other one, the pages just fall open to where I always go. And if you quote a scripture, I can tell you which side of the page it's on usually and it's got thumb marks all over it, and the cover's fallen off, but I'm really finding that it's helping me to stretch and grow, to read and now teach out of a different Bible. So forgive me while I'm a little slow on it, because the pages are all crisp. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's inclusive language. For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are called into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the second thing about this calling that God's given us as his church is that it's local. It's local. Local. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story about the Good Samaritan. And you should read the whole story, but in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a certain lawyer stood up and said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus like, well, what's written and what God already told you? And the guy knew it well because he was raised in it from a young boy and he memorized the Torah so he could, quote, Deuteronomy, and he says, well, it is written, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with your strength and your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live for eternity. Now, human nature being human nature, that wasn't quite the answer he was hoping for. And so he asks another question and he's like, well, who's my neighbor? And the story we all know as a Good Samaritan is a story that Jesus told him to show him who he should love. The broken, the hurt, the naked, and the hungry that he comes across as he walks the roads. It's a local call. We're called to represent Jesus where we live, by how we live. The message of the gospel may be read every day by the lost. And observing the actions of the children of God. One book I read this week said this: A prominent Hindu once said he would believe in the Christian Savior if Christians looked more saved. Or we'll skip on. Okay. Uh, thirdly, this call is relational. Relational. Uh, the beautiful passage of First John chapter four is um, all about love. It's a beautiful passage in verse 7. Um, John writes this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Do you get the theme? Love. In this love, God was manifest toward us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him in this love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Send his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the substitution for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And it's a fantastic story that Jesus um, shows us this in, and I won't read it, but in John chapter 4, for those of you that like to read the Bible during the week, John chapter 4 is the story of a woman at a well who Jesus bumps into on his travels. And he's sitting there because he's, you know, he's walking and he's waiting for the guys to bring some sandwiches. And this woman turns up at the wrong time of the day, heat of the sun, looking for water when no one's around. And Jesus says, hey, woman, give me a drink. I tried that at home. It didn't work. But it worked for Jesus. So maybe I ought may to try a different way. But um, anyway, Jesus has this encounter with this woman who's disregarded and shunned by society and he teaches her about love that comes from God. Relational. Who are you going to bump into? Maybe not at the well getting water, but there's another well. Instead of a W, it's got an M. I bet you go there for some sustenance from time to time. Who would you bump into? Yeah, you'll bump into Kathy. That's right relational. The call is relational. This one might go down like a cup of cold sick or a rat sandwich on a hot day, but the call of God is sacrificial. I probably should skip this one, but I can't because it's central to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. No, not the Sermon on the Mount, a different sermon. I'm getting my stories confused. Jesus talks to us in Matthew 16. Matthew 16 verse 24, he says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For well, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man will come in glory and his angels and he will reward each according to his work. Jesus actually cares about what you choose to forego and what you choose to pick up because he knows it affects how you live your life. And in this day and age of the Western church and comfort in New Zealand, we don't like to talk about sacrifice. We like to talk about preference, comfort, security, and life being good. But as I spoke on recently, often in persecution and suffering, we find the fruit of life with God as he designed it. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Another wise person said, we cannot save and be safe at the same time. And A.W. Tozer says, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Yeah, it's a bit tough. I'm sorry. I'm not preaching a happy sermon today. I'm preaching a commissioning. So it's sacrificial and it's also radical. It's radical. Thinking about Paul and his band of merry men that traveled across Asia Minor and planted churches and were beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and they were abused and they almost got left for dead and, and then people... Speak of them in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 and says, These are the guys that turned the world upside down. Radical. What if Zion was known as a people who would turn this town upside down for God? What if the Christian church of Tiawamudu came together and turned this town upside down for God? One of my aspirations. Going out on a limb here to be vulnerable, one of my aspirations that Eugene helped me find years ago because he unlocked it in me would be that the church gets invited to the table of decision for our town because we're recognised as a group of people who bring solutions that change the world. Next week I want to tell you about one of those stories. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which I wrongly pointed to, previous point, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gathers the multitudes to him in this amphitheater on the side of the lake, and he preaches what's called the Beatitudes. And then he, he continues with this long discourse that's radical. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says this to the crowd, who are wondering if they're going to follow him because he's a bit weird. Like different, you know, like not like the church that they've been going to. He says this, well, you have heard that it was said, referring to scripture, you shall not commit adultery. And I'm sure everyone was nodding, going, good, yes, we read that. We memorized that scripture and we can quote it to you. And Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust with her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Crowd goes silent. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish, meaning your eyeball, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. The message of Jesus Christ demands a radical lifestyle. But you know what the sermon's all about? Jesus is saying to the church, are you going to live what you believe? A whole sermon on the mount. Do not worry about today for tomorrow. You know, cast your cares on the Lord. You know, if, he, if he takes care of the birds of the field, he'll take care of you. Do you believe it or not? are you going to live like it? Radical. And more positive news. The calling of God is eschatological, isn't it, Keelan? Remember that? We used to quiz Keelan on what it meant because he was our intern this year and he was part of the preparation for our study on eschatology. And of course, you'll all remember what eschatology is, won't you? It is what? The study of the end times, meaning that this story is not actually about today being the most important day. Today is a step in the journey towards the end times. The point of the gospel message of Jesus Christ is not your comfort today. It's the coming of a king at a time that God determines In Revelation chapter 19, we read a description of this king who's on a white horse. Revelation 19 verse 11, for those of you taking notes, John sees heaven open and a white horse, and who sat on him was called faithful and true in his righteousness. In his righteousness he judges and makes war, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Is this the Jesus you worship? His eyes were flames of fire. He was clothed in fine linen, and he wore many crowns, and he had a name written on him that nobody knew except himself. King of kings and Lord of lords. See, the problem with church today is that we shape church on today, not the coming of a king. If we are focused on just preserving the past and making comfort for today in order that we'd survive to tomorrow, we miss the mission. You see, the more I study this and read what others have written and and look at the scripture, I'm beginning to understand that God created a mission, and as the mission is formed, the church rises. But you'll notice that Jesus didn't make the church in order to do the mission. Jesus gave the mission, and the church formed out of people doing the mission. It's chicken and egg. The mission of Christ creates his own church. The last one on my list is Doxological. Who can tell me what a doxology is? Come on, surely some of the uh, older folk who the last two words and few words in Jude is a doxology. That's correct. And what is a doxology? A blessing of whom? Mm, Not quite. It, It outplays as a blessing for the church. A doxology, let me give you an example, 1 Chronicles 29, 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10, David blessed the Lord before the assembly. A doxology is what blesses the church, but it blesses the church because it points everyone to the glory of God. Blessed be you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over it all. Our mission is to live lives to the glory of God. The mission that we have, our lifestyle that we have, is not that we would do things that make us feel good, but that we would do things that cause God to be glorified in our midst. And we can do that here and we can do it out there. The calling is doxological. We exist for the glory of God. And as I prepared that list this, this week, I'm like, "Oh, some of those I'm okay with. And I can tell I can oh, you yeah, there's some of them that give me a challenge. And there's some of them I'm going to struggle with. But this is what I believe God's showing us in the Scriptures that would be the mission of the church. That wherever we are, remembering church is not a building, church is not a meeting, church is not an organization. That we are the church and we're the church is. Where we are, we're on mission. And this is how we do our mission. We've got to shift our paradigm. Because we've joined a church or we've visited a church hoping that we'll find our mission. No, God already gave you a mission. And the church grows out of people doing mission. Man. You can tell I'm going to have some very interesting conversations. So what does this need to look like, and how are we going to rattle our cage in just a little bit more in order that we would begin to have opportunity to live out this mission? And so what I've done is I've shaped the summer series, which is Church Without Walls. I've shaped this series in a way that kind of disrupts us of disrupting us to hopefully change patterns. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable for all of us, including me. And so what that looks like is over the summer, church for a few weeks will not be in the building. You will choose how and where you do church. And I'm going to help you With some ideas on what church might look like. So, we're going to gather together and worship Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who was born. That's what we do at Christmas. And then we're going to go and probably have turkey or ham and submit to gluttony for a few hours, temporarily, repent the next day and then do it again. But on the 27th, which is a Sunday, we're not meeting in this building. I'm going to post up a message on YouTube, and if you want to watch it on Sunday or Tuesday, you can. It'll be about Church Without Walls. What I'm also going to do is, I'm going to challenge you multiple ways that you would be the Church Without Walls, not in the building. So, you get to choose what that looks like. You can choose if you gather together. We had a wonderful night the other night for dinner. Friends invited us out there, and it was beautiful, it was church. Sitting outside looking at the view. I had church during the week as I sat and prayed with people. But I'm also going to challenge you to look outward as well, not just inward. Gonna give you opportunity to worship God. Gonna give you opportunity to keep Jesus in your midst. And hopefully you find some enjoyment. But you might not. Not if you are hoping to come back to the building every week and do what we've always done. And I appreciate this is a challenge, and I appreciate that some people are really open to change and some are not. So I'm going to talk about it again next week, and I'm going to give you some examples, and I'm going to talk about it again, and then we've got to work out how we do this. So one of the things that I'm preparing is a series of activities that I'm calling... Activity challenges for you as the church to be the church, but not in the building, to be the church without walls. And there are categories. If you can read that, um, there are messages, there are connection activities, there are worship activities, devotion activities, there are prayer activities, there are family activities. There's six categories. And if you like prayer, you're going to do all the prayer ones first, I'm sure of it. If you like devotions and you got up early to read your Bible and you want to follow along the series, then you'll tick those devotion ones off. You like to connect with people. You know what that is, eh? It's a QR code. So for those of you that are used to checking in, you scan it with your phone, it takes you to a web page and it gives you a devotion activity for the day. Now, if you don't have a phone and you can't do QR codes, what I'm really hoping I can get done in the next week is a booklet. It has it in for you because I appreciate that this is not how everyone rolls. but my ability to get that into a booklet is determined by the number of hours that I'm awake this week. I'm doing my best. And I'm really feeling like we're on a bit of a limb because my greatest fear in this season of challenge is that people go, oh, sweet, four weeks off church, that's awesome. But in doing so, they neglect their faith. I'm not worried about you neglecting church because I won't be here but I am worried about you neglecting your faith you don't have to do this it's optional but there's challenges in there for you to connect with your neighbours because your mission field is the person closest to you there's challenges in there I'm calling them challenges really they're activities there's activities in there for you to do as a family like What if you just focused on going somewhere that you enjoy and laughing as much as you can while you're there as a family? Like, I'm calling that church. Because if Jesus is in your midst, it's church. And whether you're at the lake, at the zoo, in a movie, or God help us at McDonald's, you can still pray and have Jesus in your midst. So when I talked to the elders about this, Richard was like, hey, look, don't be too harsh on them. Why don't you help them to assimilate this? And I was like, good idea. We should practice. So this week, we're going to have practice. And I was like, what could I get the church to do this week? Oh, I'm going really long. I'm so sorry. Look at the clock. Oops. Um, (laughs) Carry on. Um, Real short story. This week... This gift turned up in my letterbox and I got a text. Hey, there's a gift for you in the letterbox. Don't let the birds get it. And I went out there and I found this and it was just a little gift, chocolates in it. Someone wanted to say thanks. And it blessed my socks off. Not literally, but you know. And then, also this week, I was party to a Scheme whereby Kathy was visited by two Christmas elves who brought snow and song and cheer and joy. And it blessed her socks off. So what I'm doing as the challenge for this week is I'm suggesting to you that we could practice connecting because that's one of the six subjects. And so I'm suggesting that sometimes when we preach God's message, we use words, as St. Francis of Assisi said, and other times we don't use words, because our actions speak louder than our words. So I'm inviting you to consider this week a connection activity that is church, not in the building. And I'm inviting you to consider someone in your realm or your sphere, whether it's your friend, your family, or your neighbor and you would leave a surprise gift or a card or a note or something that makes them feel loved. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is on the screen for you to think about this week because church should not have walls. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you for the scriptures that light the path for us to walk. And Lord, as a leader, I'm nervous but excited about the disruption to what we know as church, that we would walk into what you have prepared for us as church, that it would be widespread, it would be inclusive, it would be loving, it would be a demonstration of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that we would love people until they ask why. (laughs) Give us strength, God. Bind us together in unity. Help us to spur one another on in this new way, which I believe is the way. Lord, I declare a blessing over our church family, those that are in the building, those online, those who are absent this week. May they know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May they know the love of God our Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit who dwells in their home each day. Bless them, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for hanging in. Sorry the message went a bit late. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or our app, We Are Zion People.